I'm Scott Law. I'm Terry Law. And we are glad to be with you today. Oh, we're going to do a little throwback session, talk about dad, mm. your life growing up, where you came from, and how you ended up in ministry. All right. I was, uh, I grew up in Canada, as you know, and uh, my father was a Pentecostal preacher. Some of the most embarrassing moments that I had as an early teenager was having to stand at street meetings on the uh, corner outside of the uh, town hall in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. <laughs> my sister and I could both sing, and uh, my mother played an accordion, my father played a guitar, and we had a, a radio program in Prince Albert called the Sunshine Hour. And every Saturday, early Saturday morning, my mother would stand with her accordion, and Lois, my sister, and I, would sing. She sang melody and I sang harmony. She taught me how to sing harmony in the car as we drove around and I was able to sing harmony with my younger sister. Oftentimes we would uh, do things like that and I, I remember as uh, in my teenage years my parents moved from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan out to a beautiful place called Vernon, British Columbia it was uh, a mountain hideaway. It was beautiful. And I remember the first time I'd seen fruit trees up that close. And I loved, I had a real sweet tooth. I, I loved cherries, Bing cherries and uh, Lambert cherries. And when I went to an orchard for the first time, I, I, I ate so many cherries I could hardly walk. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was in that environment my father pastoring in Vernon, British Columbia, in a Pentecostal church. And as in most places in Canada, we had summer camp meetings. I remember in Saskatchewan, the camp meetings were at a, a place called Watrous, Saskatchewan, with a salt lake. And that's where I learned to swim in a salt lake when I was six or seven. In the new environment, we left, I, it would be my 14th summer, I was 14 years of age, and my parents decided to go to summer camp meeting, so Lois and I climbed in the car, and my younger brother Clayton, Clayton was quite young at that time, and we traveled across uh, British Columbia from Vernon out to a camp meeting in uh, Nanus Bay, camp on Vancouver Island. As we pulled into the camp, my father had a, a new car, a new uh, Meteor. Uh, it was a Ford model, but in Canada they had a little different name than a Ford. They called it a Meteor or a Mercury, one or the other. Uh, we arrived at the camp and I looked around and always, as my usual fashion, I was wanting to get in trouble. I had... Uh, Brought a few cigarettes from home that I had <laughs> hidden in my jacket, and I uh, would try to find a store where I could get some uh, some beer. I like to drink beer. Anyway, the camp meeting uh, started, I believe it was on a Tuesday night, and there was an American preacher by the name of Dwight McLaughlin who was preaching in the summer sessions. He was a very, very friendly man. I, was a good preacher, and uh, he his real ministry was calling young people to missions. And so every summer as he traveled and spoke in, in various camp meetings, 
uh, he would have almost like an altar call where he would uh, stand at the front and describe ministry in Africa or uh, China or other places where he had visited. He'd actually lived in Belgium for a while. I still remember that about him. But uh, on one particular night, he centered in on the mission's theme and began to speak. And it was like I was transported back. He would describe uh, preaching in Africa and how uh, out in the African areas there was uh, very little light or electric lights, things like that. So people would just uh, pull in a Jeep or some other kind of a car, turn on the headlights, Mm. and he would preach uh, in the headlights and uh, all the folks from Africa would be listening to him. And uh, the singing was was wonderful. He described, he said, Africans don't need uh, instruments. In- instruments of music. He said they can sing in four-part harmony all by themselves. So uh, he was describing all of this. And uh, as he got into the message, I-, I felt myself being drawn in. It was almost like a, a tugging. And over the years, I've come to learn what and how the Holy Spirit has moved on my own life down through the years. And here at 14, I was listening to a man challenging young people to go to Africa and China and various places. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I I was totally skeptical. There's no way. I, I can't even be a good Christian here in Canada. How in the world would I ever make it? as a missionary in Africa. And besides that, I didn't like the kind of life that missionaries lived. They would travel uh, in Amer- in Canada or America to various churches raising support and uh, raising the money for their missionary trip overseas. The one thing that I dreaded about a uh, career being in ministry greater than being a pastor. I never wanted to be a pastor like my dad, but the worst thing for me would be to be a missionary, traveling in the car from church to church, asking people for money so you could go back and live in a country that none of them wanted to go to. <laughs> and and I, I, you know, I, I was listening to this and listening to the parade of it and expecting most of the stuff that happened. I knew that when we came to the end of the service, uh, he'd call somebody up to play on the piano or uh, I, I believe they had an organ, uh, electric organ in that camp as well. And when the music would sound, then uh, he would urge young people to rise from the various places they were sitting in the, we called it an old tabernacle. It was a big barn-like place with sawdust on the floor and wooden pews. We'd have a 2 by 12 plank as the bottom of the seat and 2 by 4s along the back to, uh, uh, to be the pews. And that night, uh, he finally came to the end of the service, and he asked people to come. And there had been a girl sitting in the uh, seat just in front of me over to the right, and I, I had watched her, and I thought, uh, I bet she's going to be one of the first ones to get up and walk down to the front. And sure enough, I was right, because that, that's what she did. And I felt this tug inside, why don't you go up and, uh, and make a... Uh, decision to be a missionary. But, oh, I said, no, I can't do this. I, I was going through a real war inside. It was, it was tearing me up inside. 
because I, I had this spiritual sense on me that somehow God had a plan for me that I didn't understand and uh, that he would be taking me places that I probably didn't want to go long term. But that night I held back. I, I didn't go forward. There were uh, many, uh, 10, 12, 15 young people down at the altar crying and praying and uh, pastors and their wives would come and pray for the young people, etc. And they would make decisions for missions. I held off and I didn't go forward. And uh, But when the meeting was done, people got up and began to walk back to their cabins. There were little wooden cabins around about the big tabernacle. And uh, I, I stayed on in the building. I, I was deeply stirred inside. I was almost immobilized in not being able to move. And uh, I, I sat on the, the bench. And, and as the people left, it began to get dark. It was dark outside. And uh, about 11 o'clock, I'm still sitting in the back near the uh, back end of the tabernacle, and uh, the caretaker for the camp came in and didn't see me sitting in the corner, and so he turned out the light. I'm sitting in the back. There was a, I, I still remember, it was like a, a light storm, rainstorm came into camp, and I could hear the, uh, the, the pines and the spruce trees blowing in the wind and rushing against the walls of the building, and I'm sitting there in a, in a deep, deeply disturbed situation. I don't know when it was. It was probably it was after midnight. I know that for sure. Uh, but the pastor, Dwight McLaughlin, had uh, prayed for so many people at the end of the service that uh, he left his Bible on the pulpit in the room where I was seated. It probably seated three, four hundred people, something like that. I heard the door open and close in the dark. And I heard someone trying to move through the tabernacle down to the pulpit, down to down at the front. And apparently I found out later he'd left his Bible and he'd wakened in the middle of the night and thought uh, he wanted to read his Bible to get ready. He had to preach again the next morning. So he came in to get his Bible but he sensed someone was there. I hadn't made a sound. Totally dark. I was sitting there trying to behave myself. And he, all of a sudden he stopped and I hear this big booming voice sound out, is there somebody here? And uh, I was startled. And I, I said, yes, sir. I probably could have kept my mouth shut and saved a big problem. But I opened my mouth and said, yes, I'm here. So I could hear him feeling his way down the pew, coming down to where he, he heard my voice. And when he got fairly close to me, he reached out his hand and found my shoulder, found my head, and put his hand on my head. And he said, young man, the Lord is asking me to pray for you. So he started to pray, and Scott, I tell you, I was mesmerized. I was stock still. I could sense what I came to know as the anointing of the Holy Spirit in later years. But when he prayed for me, he all of a sudden spoke right out loud. He said, young man, I see you standing in front of, of crowds of tens of thousands of people somewhere around the world. God is calling you to be a missionary. 
And I, I was, I don't even know how to describe that. I, I was totally torn by wanting to obey God and wanting to do what God wanted me to do, but at the same time knowing the cost and not wanting to pay the cost. But uh, when he began to prophesy and said, and that's what we called it in our days, it was a, a word of prophecy given by the Holy Spirit over my life. And uh, as he prophesied and said, you're, you're going to the nations, I, uh, I had this feeling inside that said, I can't do this. Uh, this is hopeless. I, I'm not strong enough to do this. I, I'm too weak. I, I, I have difficulty standing at a street meeting in, in, in Prince Albert with my father preaching. Uh, I can't go to Africa and make a fool out of myself in front of all these people, blah, blah, blah. And it, this was going on. It was a war. But after he'd done praying, he just uh, quietly put his hands down and walked away. I think he was waiting for a moment for me to respond. I didn't respond. I was too glued to the spot and emotionally overwhelmed. I didn't know what to say. So anyway, he went over to the central aisle and walked out, and I heard the the door for the building slam, and uh, I realized that he was gone. So I I made my way out of the building, and I uh, there was a moon shining, and I could see even with the rain and the clouds and everything else, I, I could see my way through the trees, and I walked back to the little cabin where my mother and father were sleeping, and my sister had her own small bedroom, and my brother Clayton and I had our own bedroom. And I made my way into the bedroom, and uh, as I was uh, uh, settling in for the night, I remember looking up at the ceiling, and uh, I was terrified. I don't even know how else to say it. I felt that God had a plan for me that I didn't understand, and I, I didn't want to respond. And uh, I, I must admit, Scott, that after that, we were moving to back from British Columbia back to the prairies again. Uh, my father accepted a church in the city of Regina. Regina was the capital of Saskatchewan. We went there, and I got into a, a lot of trouble during those times. Uh, I had a couple of friends in 11th grade in high school. We were in chemistry class. Uh, we loved to do things with chemistry. And one of the things we learned to do was to make pipe bombs. And when I say pipe bombs, I'm talking uh, some pretty prodigious explosive type uh, things. We're not that. condoning the blowing up of, of things. <laughs> no, right. And, you know, I, my friends were not strong Christians. I was being led around by their influence, et cetera, et cetera. But always inside of me was this struggle to decide. And so it was uh, maybe two, three years later that I actually had a cataclysmic decision where I, I was in university training to be a lawyer. I was in my first year in Regina College in, in Saskatchewan, and uh, I had enrolled in university. I was training. My plans were to be a lawyer. I wanted to go into politics, and uh, I felt that I, law was something that I could get my teeth into. I, 
I loved academics. I was, uh, school came very easy to me. So anyway, all this was going on, and uh, I had an experience. My two friends and myself had been drinking one Sunday afternoon, and uh, we were fairly bombed by the time the drinking was done, and we decided to go to our church, and I wanted to uh, break up the meeting or embarrass my father. Uh, I was just that angry with my dad in those days. And uh, uh, we went to the service, and there was a guest minister there, and he had a word from the Lord. And as I sat there, came in drunk, I turned stone cold sober in, in a very few minutes. And I sat there, and I I had that coming to the, the Rubicon, if I can use that word, mm-hmm. Caesar, coming to the Rubicon on his way back into uh, to Rome. I went to the front that night. I knelt at the aisle. I I wept. I surrendered my life to Jesus. I said, I will be a missionary. I'll be anything you want. And when the service was done, I stood up. Everybody else had left the room, and my dad was waiting politely for me to get up from the altar. And uh, as we walked down the aisle out to my father's car, I said, Dad, I've made up my mind. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be uh, full-time in the work of the Lord. And my father, <laughs> it was such a total shock to him. He didn't even know what to say. <laughs> when I came home, my sister Lois was very suspicious of my uh, pranks and everything that I was up to, that she didn't think that much had happened to me. But uh I went back to the university. I asked for my the money that I'd paid to start school, and the head of the university gave me my money back. Three days later, I was traveling with my father up to a Bible school in Saskatoon. My father had built the Bible school as a young man in the revival that was uh, in Saskatoon at that time. So I came to the school where my father and mother had met each other, it was uh, there that my father said, son, I will be praying for you, and I want you to do a good job here, et cetera, et cetera. He left, and uh, I stood in this room looking around myself. It was a uh, bunk bed in the room with an old spring bunk bed where the springs, you could see the springs uh, from uh, under the mattress, and you laid on it, and you went sunk way down right in the middle, I had to sleep up on the top bunk because I had been uh, uh, teamed with another young man who had already been there ahead of me. And that's when I began Bible school. I began to study. I began to open the books, and I understood that I had a facility for theology. I I loved Scripture. I loved the Bible. It was shortly after that time that uh, I found out that a in a neighboring city in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, there was a quartet that sang. I was quite musical. I, as I mentioned earlier, been involved in music all my life. So uh, I called the quartet in Edmonton. This was after my second year in Saskatoon Bible School. And I decided to go to Edmonton for my third year. And I went to Edmonton and joined the Kingsman Quartet had a wonderful time traveling. I learned how to preach. I remember the first sermon I ever preached was on self-denial. 
And boy, was I talking to myself. I needed self-denial more than anybody. I hadn't even quit smoking yet, and I was in school. I remember when I walked into the room, and I put my jacket up in the closet. I had a package of cigarettes in my pocket that fell out on the floor. And my roommate was sitting there looking at the cigarettes on the floor, and I quickly tried to hide them and put my foot in front of them and lifted them up, put them in my pocket, but, uh, whoa, I was green. I was uh, about the most unsuspecting candidate for a missionary that anybody ever saw. But it was uh, shortly after that I uh, met another young man named Dennis Bjorgen. Dennis and I formed a music group. I played bass guitar. He played uh, a string guitar. We called ourselves the Gospel Sons, or as I would say it, the Sospel Guns. Anyway, uh, I was starting to preach. I was starting in ministry. And it wasn't not long after that that uh, Oral Roberts came to preach in a crusade in Edmonton. And I went up to Edmonton. I asked, I was working with a farmer on a ranch. His name was Ed Stahl. Ed had 500 Hereford cattle. I was hauling hay bales that summer, 14,000 hay bales. And that was a it was hard work. If you haven't hauled hay bales, you don't know what real work is. And uh, when Oral preached, I went up. I met a young man who played the organ for Oral Roberts. His name was Larry Dalton. And he was playing in the uh, practicing for an evening song service. And I came in in the mid-afternoon. And I saw this guy playing the organ. I thought, I've not heard that kind of talent on a piano in my life. I've never heard anything like this. This guy was incredible. So at the end of uh, their practice, I walked up and said, my name's Terry Law. He said, my name is Larry Dalton. And we talked about the fact that we wanted to do work overseas with gospel music. And wow, it grabbed my heart. But it was that night that my life totally changed. Oral Roberts preached. I remember he preached on Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And he prayed for the sick. I saw people healed. I saw them healed with my own eyes. And it was a wonderful moment. And as I was walking out of the building, they had a table with brochures in the lobby. It was in the hockey arena in Edmonton where Wayne Gretzky and, and other hockey players used to play. So, But anyway, when I picked up the brochure on the table, it advertised to all Roberts University. I looked at it, and for the first time in my life, I heard something clear way down inside of me. I heard the voice of the Lord speak, and the Lord said, I want you to go to this school. I can't tell you what a shock that was to me. I saw the prices on the brochure. No way in the world could I afford it. And that's the beginning of another story, and I'll tell that story later, but... Uh, God spoke to me that night and called me to Oral Roberts University. And it wasn't long after that that I traveled down to ORU, uh, started the group Living Sound, and began to travel in missions all over the world. But it was that event with Dwight McLaughlin that made me realize the grace of God. I realized that God had called me much like he did to Paul. On the road to Damascus, God had called me, he had anointed me, 
and wanted me involved in full-time ministry. And uh, from that time to this, I have not turned to the right hand or the left. I have gone forward in gospel work, and uh, the rest of it all is a fairy tale. I've written it about it with my friend Jim Gilbert in a book called uh, uh, Storm Chaser, the Terry Law story. It's a magical story, but uh, wow, I'm here, and I'm on this podcast with you today, Scott, with a faith in my heart that God is talking to other people, and maybe someone who's listening to me talk right now has felt an urging from God inside of their own heart. And if you sense that God is calling you, let me tell you, to follow Him and to do exactly what He wants will be the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. The greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And uh, I am broken as I sit here now in my 70s. I've looked at a life of 50 years in full-time service, and uh, I wouldn't change it for anything else in the world. Hmm. Yeah, that was a beautiful story. I've heard it hundreds of times, and I, I love to hear it every time you share it. Thank you for sharing and how you got started, and how God called you and uh, really looked on you with the eyes of grace and favor and has carried you through all these 50 years of ministry. Mm. It's truly a testament to God's grace and His mercy and His favor on your there, life. There's something about God and His relationship with us, and that is that He transmits grace. He transmits enablement. That's what I call grace is God's enablement to do what we can't do in ourselves. And I have all my life felt totally overwhelmed at where I've been. And I've said this before, I've met popes, I've met presidents, I've met prime ministers, I've been to over a hundred countries. And even as I sit here today, I, I, I sense a call in my heart to those who are listening. And if you, if God is calling you, take time to make a decision and to do what he says you'll never be sorry for it it's my promise beautiful dad beautiful respond to the call of god when he's calling you wonderful well again thank you for being with us grace and peace on you all and we will talk to you soon take care thank you for listening today to the conversations podcast with terry law and scott law we hope you enjoyed it this podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Terry Law Speaks. Go to terrylawspeaks.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and many of the other major podcast platforms. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time as we continue to share the love and grace of God with you and with those who've yet to hear.